Hey, everyone. Welcome back to BU Podcast. Jill Herman, if you're a new listener, welcome. We're so happy you're here with us. As always, if you'd like to stay more closely connected, shoot me a quick text to 260-217-4675, and you'll receive occasional inspiring text messages, but you'll also be first to know about what's happening in the BU community. So today is going to be such a special episode for me. And I'm certain it's going to be one of your favorites. Like there's no doubt in my mind that this episode will be one of your favorite episodes of all we've done over our first year and be a podcast because my guest is that amazing. She is one of the best, 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 best life coaches in the entire world. I'm going to read a pretty long bio. She would never ask me to do something like that. She's so humble. She would say, yeah, skip the bio. The reason I feel called to do this is because she's that good, because she has had such a profound effect on my life, as has her husband. You've heard me reference her husband, Stefanos Safandos, and you may have heard his episode in the beginning of the BU podcast launch a year ago. I was able to coach with Christine through our relationship with Steph. I had a once a month, 30 minute call with her. And then when it came time for the end of our container with her husband, and we decided for sure we wanted to renew with him, I said, we want to renew with you and I have a proposition. Would you be open to me coaching with your wife, Christine, while my husband coaches with you? And then once a month, we have a group call. And he asked her and she said yes. And oh, I'm so grateful she did. She is so tapped in and has done so much work in and through and on herself that she's what I would call, she wouldn't say this, but I'm going to say she's just this clean vessel. And so she can hold space. I know that tends to be an overused buzzword, but it's a real thing, holding space for people. She can hold space in such a beautiful way because of that. And I have experienced so much transformation in my life. What you have heard me sharing in this podcast and what you've witnessed in my growth, a lot of that is because of my coaching I've done with Christine. Even if we just have one conversation a month and we don't talk in between conversations, there's still a lot transpiring because of the advice she gives me. So in case you don't take the time to go to her website, I want you to hear from me why I so highly recommend her why she's so good. And I believe she deserves this type of intro. So Christine Hassler, she's a best-selling author, a keynote speaker, master coach, and podcast host, who's committed to guiding people and organizations into their highest potential. She left her successful job as a Hollywood agent at 25 to pursue a life she could be passionate about, but it did not come easily. After her being inspired by her own unexpected challenges and experiences, Christine realized her journey was indeed her destination. In 2005, Christine wrote her first book, 20-something, 20-everything, and then the 20-something manifesto in 2008. Her latest best-selling book, Expectation Hangover, Free Yourself from Your Past, Change Your Present, and Get What You Truly Want, is the guidebook for how to treat disappointment on the emotional, mental, behavioral, and spiritual levels. I love that term, expectation hangover. I mean, think about it, guys. And this is what we suffer from every day, right? You want to know what the medicine is for that? Ask Christine. Today, she supports individuals in answering the questions, who am I? What do I want? And how do I get it? I'm also going to say that in a different way. Who am I? And what do I want? (laughs) It's a very different question, right? What do I want? And what do I want? And how do I get it? Christine is a master coach who combines life coaching with the principles of something called spiritual psychology. She is passionate about supporting people out of suffering and limitation and into fulfillment. And I have truly experienced this myself. Her superpowers of intuition and compassion help people break through challenges that at one time seemed insurmountable. Bottom line, she helps people get over it and on with it, with love. Yes, she does. Christine's passion for coaching was born at the young age of 23 when she met her first life coach named Mona. She thought she was just going to get some advice about the challenges she was having in her life and with her boyfriend about her career, but she ended up seeing and studying with Mona for over a decade. 
they did work together that was life-changing for Christine. Most notably, she was able to get through her massive quarter-life crisis when she lost everything. She lost her job, her engagement, money, health, everything. She was able to get off antidepressants and other medications after being on them for 20 years. Christine's thirst for personal development continued as she dived into self-help books, attended seminars and retreats, got trained in NLP, and eventually pursued her master's degree in spiritual psychology with an emphasis in consciousness, health, and healing from the University of Santa Monica. As a student and eventually faculty member, the principles of USM are foundational to Christine's life and work. And that's what I would say is like one of her secret, I started to say it's her secret sauce. No, it's one of her secret spices. Today, Christine leads seminars and workshops to audiences around the country. So what I'm going to read to you now, I did not know until after working with her for, I don't know, eight or 10 months. Christine Hassler has appeared as an expert on the Today Show, CNN, ABC, CBS, Fox, E as an entertainment, Style, and PBS, as well as various local television and radio shows, speaking about generation diversity, millennials, resilience, leadership, life balance, and expectation hangovers, a phenomenon she identified and trademarked. Currently, she hosts a top-rated podcast over and on with it. Now, we talk about it in this episode. You're going to hear us talk about her podcast. The interesting thing is, guys, I could not listen to the podcast at first. Love Christine, right? Admire her clearly. Listen to this bio and this endorsement by me. I was so triggered by the coaching because I had not yet regulated my nervous system. I had not yet processed enough of my trauma, so it was too much for me. Now, I love it, and I listen to it every week. On this podcast, she coaches callers live on the air. She also leads pre-COVID four retreats per year. She runs a yearly personal mastery online course, hosts a membership community, and works privately with clients. For more information on any of these things, please email her amazing assistant who is so lovely and who will respond very quickly, jill at christinehassler.com. So here is the one and only Christine Hassler. There is nothing more inspiring than a woman being unapologetically herself. The answers are all in your heart. She's waiting, she's waiting, she's waiting for you to set her free. Welcome to BU Podcast. I'm Jill Herman and I am so glad you're here. I was broke, insecure, and craved approval. But with grit, hustle, and sacrifice, I still built a successful multi-million dollar business. 10 years in, burnout, I slowed down and looked inward. In that silence, I discovered that the same level of success could have come to me with much less effort and so much more joy. That's when I threw out the expectations of the world and chose to unbecome every single thing I thought I was supposed to be. And the real me was uncaged. It was far from easy. And in this podcast, I'll offer my entire journey as a roadmap so that if you're ready, you can finally be you. Okay, so you have heard the introduction about Christine Hassler. You've heard me reference her many times on the show. So you probably feel like you know her. Many of you are already listening to her show and following her, but I'm excited because it's the first time I get to have Christine on the podcast. So I get access to her every month and I have learned so much from her over the last year. Um, but Christine, I just want to say officially welcome to BU Podcast. And I'm really grateful that you said yes, but I'm also excited for these listeners in almost a hundred countries to really get an up close and personal experience with you that I get to have as your client. So thank you for saying yes. Well, thank you for saying yes to working with with me and my husband because it's just been a joy to work with you and TK and to get to know you. You're an exceptional woman, Jill, and I'm excited to have you lead <laughs> this this experience because it's a different dynamic than a coaching dynamic. So I'm I'm so excited to see you and be with you in your magic. I didn't even think about that. No pressure. Okay. And no pressure. No pressure. Okay. So as I said before, I love on interviews when it's not structured. I love things to just flow. And you've taught me to really honor my intuition. And before you jumping on here, 
something really came to me and it was, okay, let's talk to all of the women listening, not just the mothers. And, but let's also really hit on something with the mothers. So before we talk about motherhood and marriage and all its glory, would you share your thoughts, your experience, and also your knowledge about perfectionism and control, how those two are married and related and why they're always hanging out together and why so many of us, no matter how much work we do, still bump up against this every day. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, if I forget any of those questions, just just ask me, just re-ask them. Yeah. But perfectionism and control, the easiest way to describe them is their protective patterns. So no one is born a perfectionist. Sure, we can have certain personality tendencies or, you know, maybe people that are really into astrology or human design. There's all kinds of ways we can go, okay, I, there's just a certain way that I am. But most of how we behave in the world, especially things like perfectionism control, come from wounding. And what I mean by that is all of us as children, well, I'll say most of us, most of us as children, pretty much everyone that I've ever worked with or met has had difficulty as a child. Some people come from a lot of trauma. And when we think of trauma, a lot of times we think, oh, well, I wasn't abused as a child, so I didn't have trauma. But trauma has a huge range. Trauma can be, yes, it can be abuse, growing up in a really unsafe, alcoholic, chaotic home. Or it can be your parents got divorced, or you moved a lot as a kid or you were teased, or you had an inconsistent parent. So I think a lot of people minimize what happened to them in childhood because it's not as big as someone else they know that may have gotten abused or had a parent die or or something like that. So we have to really be honest with ourselves and not compare our childhood to someone else's and go, there were things that were hard for me. Now, this isn't to blame our parents, use them as scapegoats or to process our childhood in therapy for 20, 30 years. It's just to really have awareness so that we can understand why we are the way we are and why we act the way we do. So with perfectionism and control, because, and I love that you paired them together because they really do go together because perfectionism is about control. It's about having to have things a certain way. And if they're not a certain way, they're not up to a certain standard. We feel not enough. We feel unsteady. We feel like we're going to be judged. So it is a form of control. And that usually develops when as a child, we didn't have a lot of control or things felt really out of control or we didn't get love or validation unless we did exceptional at something. So give you a few examples. Say you grew up in a house with really inconsistent parents and you never knew what was going to happen. You never knew when dad was going to yell or mom was going to be in a mood. You're kind of walking on eggshells and you just felt really unsafe. So as an adult, as a protective strategy, you probably like to control things because as a child, it felt very scary to be out of control. So you wanted to control as much as you possibly could. A way that I see this show up a lot, especially for women, is with eating disorder and body image issues. So feeling really out of control, wanting to control anything you can, and so trying to control your body because you don't have control elsewhere. It can show up in myriad other ways too, being controlling with work, controlling people, controlling yourself, whatever it may be. The perfectionist thing, an example of how that could develop is you, you had a parent that was really hard on you and you felt like, okay, I have to meet this standard in order to get love. Or you got love when you did really well. Maybe the only way you connected to your father was when you got an A+. But if you got a B, eh, he kind of gave you a look and you didn't get that validation that you really, really wanted. So we develop perfectionism because we think, all right, well, this is how I get my enoughness feeling. This is how I get worth in the world. This is how I get people to like me. So again, both those things are protective because with with control, we're protecting ourselves from feeling out of control or chaotic, which is very scary. And with perfectionism, we're protecting ourselves from being judged or rejected or missing love in some way. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, as my coach, that I can not just relate to this. It's like you look these up in the dictionary and my face is right there, <laughs> you know? And, and I think there's so much freedom in admitting that. I'm not in a self-deprecating way, which is what I did for right. a long time, but just being honest about it. And I, to me, that's been part of my healing. You know that I used to just beat myself. Well, I still beat myself up, but I used to talk about being a perfectionist or a recovering or recovered perfectionist or a, quote, control freak. And I thought it was because I was being transparent. And I realized it was just another way to slam myself. 
And now it's very different. I'm just very transparent about it. I'm aware of the fact that it's still a struggle, but you have shown me and I, I really have practiced forgiving myself for that and doing what I call shining love where fear lives, you know, just loving that part of myself. Even if I have to do it right after I say, I hate that about myself. It's interesting when you talked about perfectionism because when I was a child, my parents didn't give me any more attention, even though I was literally the perfect child. I mean, I I was so well-behaved. I was so well-liked, so polite, perfect student. I mean, everything was perfect about me. And it's interesting because as I heard you describing that, I thought, you know what I realized? I did that for the love and attention from teachers because I wasn't getting it from home, even if I did. Like, I remember bringing home like those standardized tests and my mom would look at it and say, mom, look, see what this means? See how the graph goes like this? That means I'm like not even in this percentile. I'm like, wait. And she's like, okay. You know, so I knew that I would get that from my teachers. So I wasn't just a great student. You won't be surprised that I was always bringing them apples and (laughs) complimenting them and (laughs) holding their hand on the playground and making sure I'm opening the door for all the kids. And oh man, oh man. But the other thing I wanted to share that I thought of as you were talking is that I bet a lot of women can relate to this. I clearly have been a perfectionist and someone who loves control and thrives and needs control But I didn't realize, Christine, until this last year, working with you and your husband, that I was projecting that onto other people around me. And I think a lot of women are there, they don't realize they're doing it. They're like, oh yeah, I'm a perfectionist and I like control, but they don't realize the effect it has on people around them. And people used to say to me, my kids used to say to me that I was controlling and I would say, no, I'm just being a good parent. Nice try. You know, so could we talk a little bit about why we obviously we want to control everything. So we want to control other people. But why do we project even our perfectionism onto other people? Well, because the world is a mirror in so many ways. And so people trigger us, people reflect our issues to us and trigger us in certain ways. And it's sort of like you can only love the depth that you can love yourself. And a lot of mothers out out there might go, that's not true. I love my children way, way more than me. But let's talk about what love is. Love isn't worrying about someone. Love isn't necessarily taking care of someone. Love isn't necessarily doing whatever you can to make sure someone else is okay to the expense of yourself. Like a lot of us really, myself included, have confusion about what love really truly is. And so with perfectionism, we can only be accepting of other people to the degree that we're accepting of ourselves. So if we have super high standards of ourselves, we're going to project that on other people because one, that's one of the ways that we, we think we get love. And that's what we think we do when we love someone else, right? Like if I think my lovability is based on how well I do at something, I'm going to want the people around me to do really well at something too, because subconsciously I'm going to think, well, their lovability and their okayness in the world is also dependent on how they do. Mm. So I want them to be perfect for me, but I want them to be perfect and look perfect for everybody else too. Otherwise, they're not safe. So it's a very subconscious thing we project on people because we think it's working so well for us. We want other people to do it as well. Mm. (laughs) Yes. Oh my gosh. I mean, mine went as far as if I were watching, let's say, I don't know, a show or the news or something. And I actually give you a specific example. There was a news anchor one time who had these extremely dramatic fake eyelashes. Well, clearly she liked them. Mm. I couldn't watch, I couldn't stand it. I could not even listen to what she was saying because it drove me crazy that someone would have eyelashes like that and it would be so distracting. And I can't believe, this is how I think, I can't believe her producer hasn't said anything to her. Why haven't they said anything to her? Do they not understand how distracting it is for someone like me to be able to watch the news? <laughs> right? I mean, that, that it was like every second of the day it was control and perfectionism. Now I can laugh about it and it's still there, as I said, but I can see it for what it is. But thank you for for explaining that. That was really helpful. So my gosh, we could talk for a whole hour just about that. I'm making myself go on a left turn here, but I wanted to stay on there because it's it's like the death of so many women. When you talked about body image and people will say, right, I'm sure they've said to you, I've said to myself, I've never had an eating disorder. I don't have an issue with that. Meanwhile, I'm constantly tugging at my clothes or or worrying about how I look every minute of the day. And because I don't have an eating disorder, I think I have a positive body image, you know, or we're comparing ourselves to other women, everything about their physical body 
and even not their physical body. Okay, so let's now get into something that I heard truly for the first time, again, working with you, and you had a guest on your show, and I think her whole podcast is called The Mother Wound, and I... Destiny Webster, yep. Yes, yes. You know, again, this is such a thick, deep topic that people can explore outside of this show, but what would you like our listeners to know right now from you about what the mother wound is and how it may or may not relate to them? Oh, goodness. <laughs> well, I would say definitely listen to the podcast as well because we dive so into it with, with Bethany. But the mother wound can be many different things. It's all about our relationship with our mother. And once again, because I know there's a lot of mothers listening, I don't want you to start blaming yourself and thinking about all the ways that you've messed up your kids because that that doesn't help. That just reinforces the mother wound because when a mother has guilt and shame about how she was a mother, it definitely impacts how she can show up for her kids. So in this conversation, all the mothers out there really just put on your your learning ears and and think about how you can be an even better mother to yourself first and to your children, but most importantly, repair any wounds you have with your own mother, whether she's alive or in your life or not. I think it's really important when we talk about the mother wound, especially the mothers, not to go into automatically thinking about how you're impacting your kids. I want you to think of yourself as you listen to this as a daughter first. Don't think of yourself as a mother. Think of yourself just as a daughter right now so you can really hear how the mother wound impacted you. So if we think about the mother, I mean, this is, <laughs> we, we started out before we even came into the world in her womb. Like our connection to our mother is unlike any other connection we ever have or ever will have. It's so primal and it's so ingrained and we start feeling our mother's energy in utero. It happens way before we're even born. You know, I'm feeling, I'm pregnant right now. So I'm feeling this. It's like, no pressure. <laughs> She's yeah. feeling everything I'm doing. No, no pressure at all. <laughs> but anyway, I digress. So that relationship of, all right, first, you know, we're feeling everything our mother's feeling. And then we come out and she's our primary caregiver. You know, she's who we go to for food, for nurturing, for warmth, everything. And of course, the father's involved, but the mother is really what is keeping the baby alive. And so we have this incredible attachment to her. And throughout our life, our mother, whether she's in our life and we consider her a quote-unquote good mother or not, who she is, is passed down to us through generational patterns, through subconscious programming. There's what your mother did or didn't do that you're aware of, but then there's the things you inherited just from her being your mother and just for it being in your generational lineage. So the best way I can describe the mother wound is when a woman hasn't really healed her own issues, especially with her mother, hasn't healed her own trauma, her own insecurities, her own sense of lack, self-worth, whatever it may be, she passes them on to her child and often projects a lot of those things on her child. And one of the ways the mother wound can show up is that the mother you know, never really felt loved, truly accepted. And then they have this baby who needs them, right? And just is this ball of love. And they kind of project all the love they didn't get onto this child and want the child to be the thing that finally makes them feel loved. You know, and I have this conversation a lot with women when they say, I want to have a baby. And it's a confronting conversation and one that I had a lot with myself. I, I say, do you really want to be a mother or do you want to have something that loves you so much? Mm. And most women go, what you did. <laughs> they go, uh, mm, I've never thought about that because a lot of women go into motherhood because yes, they want to be a mother and there's this little girl who never really got the love she really wanted or needed. Yeah. And is like, oh, but the love from this child, that will be the thing that makes me finally feel loved. Again, this is so subconscious, so subconscious. So I think it's important for women, you know, before they have children to really do a lot of work around self-love, self-acceptance and cleaning out old trauma and really looking at our relationship with our mother. And again, we don't have to be perfect. There is no perfect. We're always going to be working on ourselves. We're always evolving. But to have the awareness and to do the work and to know that children don't belong to us, they come through us. And as the mother, we never want to be looking to the child for love. 
Like it's our job to love and take care of them, but we're not supposed to be getting stuff back from them. Of course, we're naturally going to feel loved by our child and all the warm fuzzies and all that is wonderful. But when we're looking for the child to fill emotional voids, that's when it becomes a problem. Another way it can become a problem is a mother can kind of project her unmet dreams onto the daughter. Like if the daughter starts achieving things or wants to go do things or has a different point of view, the mother can, again, very subconsciously feel a sense of jealousy and can almost prevent or sabotage the child from going off and doing certain things because she never got to do those things. Or the mother will try to live vicariously through the child and make the child a mini her, you know, make the child into all the things she never got to be or never got to do. And then the child is like, well, who am I really? I know who I am in this version that my mother scripted for me, but who am I really? And a lot of children, especially women that come to me, are like, I became who my parents, especially my mother, wanted me to be. And I don't really know who I am. Mm -hmm. So I could go on and on about that forever. But those are some of the main ways it shows up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so interesting to me. I always say the word interesting, but whatever the word is, how just the synchronicities and how just the serendipity that, you know, I just happened to be looking at the Christmas tree last night. And that came to me. What you just said, of course, not the whole paragraph, not everything with your eloquent way of delivering it and your depth, the depth of your knowledge. However, the message that I just kind of came to me as I was watching the Christmas, looking at the Christmas tree was, I think one of my fears is, what if my kids find out that I became a mother because I felt so unlovable and unworthy and I just wanted something to be mine that would hurt me? That, mm-hmm. that would love me. Like that came to me out of the blue as I was mm-hmm. looking at the Christmas tree last night. And one thing that you said was our kids come through us. And you've said to me before, and I've heard other experts say that our kids choose us like at a, as a soul level, they choose us. And I get some people that's just really woo for them. And it's just so out there for them. Like I live in the Bible Belt in Indiana, right? And I have a lot of friends that would be like, wait, what? So I know we don't have time to dig super deep into that. But I do think it's worth repeating because I think it it is helpful for the mom guilt Mm -hmm. for you as an expert to just remind them again that they're here for a path that has nothing to do with us, even though we're, you know, helping to love them and guide them. How would you explain that a little bit more? Yeah. Well, I want to address what you said about the awareness that came about the Christmas tree. On some level, your kids know that and they chose you knowing that. But this is the thing it's never too late to repair a relationship from my perspective, just like it's never too late to have a good childhood because we can always repair in ourselves. It's never too late to repair a relationship and to, to have conversations with our children and, and own where our awareness was at the time and shift and, and shift the relationship and shift the dynamic because we're not just our children's mothers when they're children. We're their mothers their entire life. So important to really forgive yourself for that and to know on some level, well, they probably do know. And they chose mm. me anyway. <laughs> they knew what they were getting into and they chose me anyway. And how do I take responsibility for that? Not blame, but responsibility, do my work around it and shift my relationship with them going forward. Because we we can, we do have that power. In terms of children choosing us. So, and this isn't aligned with any spiritual doctrine or religion or anything like that. I've been in, gosh, I saw my first therapist when I was 11. <laughs> I've been in personal and spiritual development for over 20 years. I've seen a lot, but more importantly, I've experienced a lot. And I've had a lot of training, but more importantly, I've experienced a lot. And in my own experience and working with thousands of people at this point, I just see an experience that, you know, we are always evolving and there's something more inside of us than just our personality and just the way we see the world and all that kind of stuff. There's something deeper, which I would call a soul. And there, there, there's this entelechy of the human that wants to evolve. And I see this all the time when people are pursuing personal growth. It's like, we want to evolve. We, we want to learn more. We attract opportunities into our life that 
bring us to our knees at a lot of point and, and make us go, what the F is going on? And, and eventually, for most of us, make us reach out for help and, and learn certain lessons. And so, what I've seen and experienced is like this soul is always wanting to evolve. It's always wanting to learn. It's always wanting to heal its trauma, be better, have better, not in a materialistic world, but just attract different things in our life. And I'm like, okay, then if we as humans have this soul that's always seeking to evolve, then earth is kind of like a school. It's the school where we come and we learn things and our soul seeks to evolve and we want to heal trauma and we want to break generational patterns and we want to get out of loops that we've been in for, for years and years and years and we, we want to have more awareness. And so, I, I believe that that starts from when we choose to incarnate into human expression. If the whole purpose of being on earth is to evolve as a soul, well, then we're going to choose certain parents and certain experiences to help us do that. So, the way I see it is before we incarnate, before we choose to be born, we're like, okay, what do I need to learn in this lifetime? How does my soul want to evolve? Oh, wants to evolve in this way. I need to learn these things. I need to work out this karma. Well, then Jill would be the perfect mother for me. She will completely <laughs> help me do that. <laughs> so, I'm going to land in her. And of course, it probably is way more complicated than that. I'm trying to explain something that probably no one on the planet can explain accurately. But that's kind of the way I see it. And when I think about my life, and the things that I know I'm here to learn as, as a soul, as someone's the, the patterns I want to heal, the beliefs I want to let go of, the trauma I want to heal, all that kind of stuff. My parents were perfect for me. They were a perfect match. And that really helps me, one, understand myself, but also forgive them because I picked them. And I can blame them the rest of my life, but who wants to do that? Like, who wants a scapegoat for the rest of your life? It feels so much better to take responsibility and go, all right, like if this is who I chose, let me look at why. Let me look at how I can evolve. And also let me forgive my parents because I picked them. Mm. Yeah, that was probably one of the most helpful lessons for me as it relates to my never ending, what appears to be my never ending dance and love affair with mom guilt. I mean, you know this, but I still, Christine, fight it every moment of the day, but with awareness at least, right? And I, I have found that through this podcast, you know, I started this podcast. I never told you the story, but basically it was just an intuitive hit. Like I didn't listen to podcasts. I knew what they were only because like six months earlier, my nephew said, you should listen to podcasts. And I was like, what are they and how do I find them? And I had a couple that I listened to a few times and that was it. I was going to write a book and I had committed to it and you know, told people, this is what I'm doing. And then when I went to write it, I knew it wasn't the right time. It just did not feel right at all. And so one day I just said to my husband, okay, this is going to sound really, really crazy, but I'm supposed to have a podcast, but I don't really know how to do it. And he said, you know, TK, great, have a podcast. You know, he'll be my biggest fan. And I realized later, probably three or four months later after it, it had aired and launched, I looked back at my whiteboard and Christine, the year before, not like the month before, but the year before I had written out some sort of like affirmations for the year, you know? And the interesting thing is I remember seeing them several times, but I never, it never registered in my brain that I said what I'm going to tell you it said. So there were several things on there about my life. And one of them said, my podcast explodes with success in 2020. Well, that was when I wasn't even listening to them and I didn't even know I was ever going to have one. My point in saying all that is that I've, shared openly with everyone my healing. And that's all this has been. Not as an expert, not as someone who knows anything, but just this is my experience. Take it or leave it. It's going to help me to to talk into the microphone. If it helps you, great. The thing that keeps coming up over and over again, which matches up with your intuition because you told me once that you thought I was supposed to do some work with mothers and maybe young teenage girls. Mm -hmm. But the thing I hear more than anything is, oh my gosh, I thought I was the only one. I always feel guilty as a mom. I always feel like I'm screwing up. I never feel like I'm getting it right. And my friends have never said that to me because it's like a dirty secret. So as I started telling the secret and saying, hey, does anyone else feel this way? I haven't met a mom yet who doesn't. Now, some of them live there, right? And some of them like me decide to roll around in the mud for years and years about it. And others decide that they're gonna do work so that they relieve themselves or they don't come in to motherhood feeling as guilty right? But 
that's a long-winded way of saying that I know that one thing I'm meant to do is to heal my own so that I can inspire other women, other mothers to do the same because I feel like it is sucking the life and joy out of millions and millions of women all over the world. Yep. So would you agree? I mean, this is just my assumption that there are some people who obviously don't share that they have mom guilt, but I do feel that there are some women who have much less than others, depending on where they're coming in to motherhood from. You call it the come from. You know, what's the come from? For me, it was I'm coming into it with so much shit. So it's heavier. But I have other friends that I admire them. They're like, I mean, I have one friend you'd love. She's so funny. She says, well, I don't know. Everyone's going to need to talk to a therapist when they're 35 one day. So I just tell my kids, you're welcome. (laughs) She's so funny. 35, hopefully earlier. Hopefully it's much (laughs) earlier, right? Um, But as we just talk for a couple minutes more about mom guilt, besides the encouragement of our kids chose us and that you don't want any mom to feel guilty, what would be another message you as a new mother right now who's expecting in, in March? And as an expert, what would you like to say to the women listening who say, I heard what you say, but I still just feel like I am, I'm messing it up every day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I had my first dose of this in the first trimester of my pregnancy because I've always been a really healthy eater. I've always taken really good care of myself. And my first trimester of pregnancy, I was nauseous 24-7. And I would look at a cucumber or any vegetable and just want to die. <laughs> it just was like, I just couldn't do it. And I had so much guilt come up because I was living on crackers and all gluten-free, but crackers and bread and, and just a burger every once in a while. And that was all I could, all I could do. And I felt so guilty because I felt like I wasn't giving my baby what she needed. And so I, I had my first dose because I don't think you really get it until <laughs> you experience it. And it is heavy because you really, well, at least in my experience, you really feel like you're, you're messing up a, your kid mm-hmm. and doing damage in some way. So it is a hefty, hefty responsibility that mothers place on ourselves. So I think the first thing to keep in mind is that humans in general are very, very resilient, very resilient. And a lot of the things that moms feel guilty about, your kids are fine. Like they're going to be fine and they are fine. And so that's one of the things that I think is important to keep in mind is that we underestimate the resiliency of our children and their own journey. The second thing with mom guilt is the harder we are on ourselves, the more mom guilt we have. So women who tend to not have as much mom guilt again, aren't irresponsible and are still great mothers, but just don't have the guilt, also tend to have a better relationship with their own inner critic. Don't judge themselves as much, aren't as hard as themselves as much. Because once you have a pretty fierce inner critic and once you're hard on yourself, it's going to go to whatever department is most vulnerable. So if your inner critic knows being a mom is really important to you, it's going to go, ha, I can really get her on this one. Oh yeah, I like, can really make her feel bad on this one. I'm picturing like my and, my inner critic being like, yeah. "Oh baby, she's pregnant. Here we go." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, mine mine just acted up. So, the more you work with your inner critic, the and the more loving you are to yourself, the less mom guilt you're going to have. And let's just talk about what guilt is. So, guilt isn't really even an emotion. It's sort of a cluster of thoughts that make us feel unsteady and we call it guilt. It's not a real emotion. If I said, feel guilty right now, you, you'd have to think something. But if, if someone was sad, someone was angry, someone was embarrassed or ashamed, we could see that. There'd be physiological indicators of it. But guilt is just, it's a mental construct. So how it happens is like, okay, so we identify, we want to identify as being a good mother. It's really important to us. I ask most mothers, if you want to be a good mother, being a good mother is important to you. And they're going to say, hell yes, of course it is. It's my hugest responsibility. Okay. So, all right. I'm a God that I want to identify as a good mother. I'm also human. I also have my own inner child who has her wounding. I also, you know, have life and stresses and all the things. And I'm gonna do things that I would say are mess ups or that I wish I would have done differently. Again, back to being human, not going to get it right all the time. So a person that identifies as a good mother needs a way to still feel good when she feels bad about something she's done. So what does she do? She feels guilty because 
at least I'm feeling guilty about it. So that still makes me good. I've done something bad, but I'm feeling guilty about it. So that still makes me a good person because at least I'm feeling guilty. Does that make sense? Yes. And you helped me with this just a few weeks ago. And I still hearing it today, I'm still taking it in. It's hard to take in because I think my ego doesn't want to take it in. <laughs> you yeah. know, but yes. Oh my gosh. It's so, it's so big. Yeah, it's it's huge. It's huge. And it's also so important for moms to look at all the things they are doing that just are so amazing for their children. That's one of the things that can really help you with mom guilt is just looking at how amazing you are as a mom and and also thinking about how you're the perfect fit for your kid. Like, you know, you can tell what lessons your kids on the planet to learn and how you might be contributing to them and being like, and we, we talk about this in romantic relationships as well. Being like, okay, like I have a soul contract with this kid. I'm supposed to trigger him or her in certain ways. Mm. Now, that's not giving me permission slip to, you know, do things that I know aren't great to do. But there, there are certain things that your kid chose you to do, you know, and having that awareness of I'm going to do the best I can. And I'm still going to mess up. My kid's resilient. My kid has their own soul lessons. I can communicate. I can take responsibility because when we look at attachment styles, So as children, we form an attachment style. There's basically two kinds of attachment styles, secure and insecure. And then there's three types of insecure attachments. So a secure attachment is an attachment that we all want. It's it's when we really feel safe to love, we feel safe to be intimate. Not I'm just talking about not talking about sexual intimacy, but real vulnerability, intimacy. We trust people, we don't have a lot of fears in relationships. And the number one thing that makes a secure attachment with a child to a parent is consistency with repair. And this is the same thing that makes a marriage or a relationship successful. A secure attachment or a happy marriage or long-term content marriage is not about, you know, we never mess up. We never argue. No, no, no. In secure attachment, it's I'm consistent with my kid. They know they can rely on me. I'm also going to mess up. But when I mess up, I repair it. I acknowledge it. Mm-hmm. I forgot to pick my kid up from soccer practice on time. I feel like a terrible mother. I apologize. I'm say, I say, that was so not your fault. Mom forgot. This won't happen again. I know that must have been really scary for you. And I'm sorry. Know that I love you. And you repair in that moment. And the kid's not going to need to talk about that at 35 in therapy because you repaired it. So that's one of the ways we can relieve some of that mom guilt is it's not about being perfect. It's about being as consistent as you can. And when, do- when something does happen, you take responsibility and you repair it. Mm-hmm. And I would say too, that at some point then, if we're in the repair process, if we keep repeating it, which is, this is what I did, Christine. I was always like to get my kids from school or from practice, which was happening, happened to me, of course, when I was a child. And so... I still to this day, I could cry right now. If I let myself, I could cry picturing Julia, um, even in middle school. I mean, picturing what it would be like her standing there, seeing all the moms picking their kids up, one car, two car, and then there's like no one left. And then once again, she's walking in alone with the teachers and going back and then sitting another 10 or 15 minutes waiting in the office for me. I did that so many times and I always recognized what I did, owned it, didn't make an excuse and apologized. Yet, I would turn around and do it over and over again. And, you know, I then had to learn to forgive myself for that. Because I, I that was, it was such a lesson for me and on some strange level that I still don't quite understand a lesson for them. But I, I then would say, tell me if you agree, that if you're a mom like me who is apologizing, but you're not changing the behavior and it's not going to, you know, hurt them, but it doesn't feel good to me. The last one picked up over and over again. And if it really hurts the child, look at yourself and say, okay, why am I doing this? Absolutely. Because that's your mother wound. It wasn't that you're a bad mom, Jill. It's that you had unresolved stuff from your mom and you were just acting it out. You were just playing out that pattern. There's the generational pattern. There's the trauma. Because your inner child was still looking for you to heal that within you. So you had to keep acting it out. Now, with all the inner child work you have done to this day, if you were picking your kids up now, you wouldn't be late because you're aware of it and you've healed that and you know where that comes from. And that's the other thing with mom guilt is we have to forgive ourselves. And I, you know, I'm going to say something that a lot of people don't like to hear, which is that anyone else and you have always been doing the best they could. Now, that's not 
a cop out. That's not saying, oh, well, your parents were doing the best they could. And it was okay that your mom was late and picking you up. You should just get over it because she was traumatized and she was doing the best they could. No, first we have to get at our anger and our hurt and really feel all that and be like, this sucked for me. You were shitty in this department as a mom. Like, I'm really angry about that. We don't call up our mother and say that, but we work on that with our coach or a therapist in our own personal growth work. And we eventually get to forgive that person. And if we see ourselves repeating patterns that we learned from our mother, our parents or wherever, then we forgive ourselves. So that that emotion that comes up for you, Jill, around that says there's still mom guilt there, right? And there's a deep level of forgiveness and compassion that you need to have for that little girl whose mom was late for her. Like you can cry for your children, but you got to cry for yourself too and heal that inside of you so you can forgive her and then forgive yourself and not carry around that guilt. Mm -hmm. This is also fascinating. Clearly, that's why it's your career. (laughs) I know you think it's fascinating too. It's just, isn't it just so, to me, it's so fascinating how it's all connected, how it all plays out. Oh, I love the human experience. I never get bored. <laughs> it's it's so exciting and and frustrating at times. I mean, it is hard to be here sometimes. And I, I sometimes say that ignorance is bliss and awareness is a bitch because once <laughs> we're aware and once we're aware of our patterns and what we do, it's like it's a lot of responsibility. And I remember when I got on the personal growth path, my coach Mona said to me, And I said, I wanted to be a coach. She said, are you sure? Because your whole life will be (laughs) continuing to learn and grow. Like once you wake up and agree to do consciousness work, you're on the path forever. And at times it's intimidating and at times it's daunting. However, the more tools that I gather, the more I grow, the more I heal inside myself, the, the easier it becomes and the more fun it becomes because we realize no matter what has happened to us, like we have the opportunity to heal and we have the opportunity to change our lives. No matter how old we are, no matter what's happened, no matter what we've done, no matter what hasn't happened, we absolutely have the power to create change in our life. We're not victims of our circumstances. Mm-hmm. I'm a, an example of that. I mean, I, oh, for sure. I've had so many friends or maybe social media contacts reach out and say, oh my gosh, I love that episode. I just, and then it's but, but I, and my answer is always, okay, but this is where you get to take responsibility. I only know this. And I said what I said on the episode because I'm doing the work, because I hired a coach, because I'm looking at myself, because I'm forgiving, because I'm processing and it sucks and it's really difficult. But that's how I have this view I have now, which isn't even close to what it's going to be even in a year. So I invite everyone to, you know, you know, not in a way of, oh, I have to fix myself, right? I need to get a coach or do a personal development because there's something wrong with me. But really, really do this inner work because it's the biggest gift you can give yourself, your children, your grandchildren's grandchildren, and even your own parents. And I've, I've just in this one year of working with Christine and her husband, Steph, who I, you know, I've referenced and he's been on the show before. Um, I have seen more growth in me in this last year than ever. And I started to then criticize the lack of growth before a year ago. And I remember Christine saying, no, everything you did all those years before prepared you for this. So wherever you are in your journey, I just invite you to keep digging, not fixing, but just keep digging. So I want to wrap up with, you already started to lead into it, Christine, for all of the women who, I know we were speaking to women as daughters, really, but for women out there who either aren't even in a committed relationship yet, or they're in you know the 20th year of their marriage, I would love for you to go back to what you said about the connection between a sacred union between you and a partner and the union between you and a child when it comes to mirrors and triggers. Yeah. Well, there's nothing like an intimate relationship to to show you where you are in your own evolution. When when Steph and I got together, we both had done, you know, 20 years of work on ourselves, and we came in pretty arrogant in terms of, oh, we're like, we're going to have such a conscious relationship and we're going to communicate. And oh my gosh, after the honeymoon period wore off, we were fighting like siblings and all (laughs) our stuff was coming up. The good news is we had tools and we had support. We had awareness around it. So we were really able to move through it quickly. But our, our romantic relationships are, they're sort of like a continuation of our family of origin. We, we come into the world knowing that, you know, we're loved, we're whole, we're complete. I think we're very connected to God or spirit, universe, whatever you want to call it when we're born. 
And then we're in human form. So we kind of project God onto our parents. Like our parents become the be all and end all of where we get love, where we get validation. Like unless our our spirituality is really, really nurtured from a young age, we do look to our parents to be our everything. It's very normal for a child. And we have a lot of needs as a child. We're needy as children. That's normal. That's healthy. We're supposed to be needy as children. And our parents aren't God. They're humans and they've had their own stuff. And so oftentimes they can't meet all our needs in the way that they need to be met. So all of this unmet needs, all of the things we didn't get from mom and dad, we are still looking for. And so subconsciously, we go out and look in, we look for romantic relationships that will give us our needs that we didn't get as a child. So we end up picking people that remind us of our childhood, that remind us of mother or father. So I'm sure a lot of you listening right now can think about someone that you're either in a relationship with now or dated in the past that was like your father or like your mother. It doesn't, it doesn't matter if you're a heterosexual woman and you're dating men. It's not just daddy issues that are going to show up in relationship. You could have a really controlling strict mother and find yourself attracted to men who you felt kind of put a lot of pressure on you to look perfect or be perfect or whatever it was. You could have a really emotionally unavailable father All you wanted as a little girl was for him to love you, for him to be attentive to you. So subconsciously, when you go out and date, you're going to be looking for emotionally unavailable men because there's a little girl in there that's like, ooh, that person is kind of like daddy. Maybe I'll get from him what I didn't get from daddy. And so we end up drawing people in that are like our parents hoping to get what we never got from our parents. And we all know how that works out. It it, it doesn't work out. Just like our parents couldn't give it to us, the person that reminds us of our parent isn't going to give it to us either. So that person becomes a mirror. That person becomes a trigger of the things we need to start giving ourselves, the things we've never dealt with, the wounds that we've never healed and cleared. And because in romantic relationships, that's often where we're most intimate and where our walls come down, we also see our unhealthy patterns, the ways that we control, the ways that we're passive aggressive, the ways that we manipulate, the things that we do to get love. And our relationships can become either a really triggering place that end up making us feel like we did as a child, unloved, unseen, unvalidated, frustrated, or they become a healing container where we look at our partner with our adult self and go, huh, I'm making this person responsible for my okayness, for my worth, for me to feel safe. That's a lot to project on a person. What is this person reminding me of? And how can I give myself what I'm seeking from this person. And the relationship becomes a beautiful healing container. So let's use the example of the emotionally unavailable guy. You find yourself in a relationship like that. Your partner's shut down, emotionally unavailable. You have a couple choices. Either you go, oh, wow, I've drawn in someone that's like my father. He's probably never going to be able to give me what I need. This relationship has an expiration date. I'm choosing to leave. Not in an againstness way, not in a you're wrong, you're bad, you're emotionally unavailable, but more, I love myself enough to realize I'm at a Chinese restaurant and I want nachos. Mm. <laughs> that was the best. Sorry. I'm picturing that on a t-shirt. I'm just picturing that. <laughs> no, we do I'm that at a so Chinese often. restaurant and I want nachos. Oh exactly. my gosh. Most marriages in America. Got it. Exactly. And you can bring chips and queso and ble- beans and salsa to a Chinese restaurant and hand them the ingredients, and they're probably going to look at you like, what do you want me to do with this? Because it's not what they do. It's not what they make. And so you can look and go, oh, wow, like I am not getting nachos here, and I need to leave this relationship. Or you can look at, all right, where am I emotionally unavailable? How do I really open up? How do I go deeper in my intimacy? How do I take down walls around my heart? And often when one person does that kind of work in relationship, again, kind of subconsciously and energetically, the other person might do the same. And you might have a miracle in your relationship where walls start to come down for both of you. But it's that it's taking that responsibility and looking at, I attracted this person for a reason. They're reflecting things to me that I need to see or to learn. And instead of trying to change them or blame them, I'm going to look at me and see why I drew this in and see where I have, because the only person we have the power to change is ourselves. That's it, period, end of story. We can maybe inspire other people. We can maybe be the catalyst for someone's change. We can never plan that. That just happens as it ha- it's a nice bonus. But the only person we can change is ourselves. And whenever I'm in an upset with my husband, I always remind myself, okay, 
I need to look at me first. Like, where am I? Where am I off? Like, I even notice I'll start, you know, paying attention to the things he doesn't do around the house, like fold his clothes or empty the dishwasher or whatever. When I'm feeling like I'm not up to date on my to-do list, you know, when I'm not feeling productive enough. And I'm like, oh, (laughs) I'm picking at him because I'm really picking at me. That's what's really going on. I mean, that's a small example, but constantly using relationship as a mirror to look at ourselves instead of trying to change or fix our partner. Yeah. And it is, it is so difficult. I mean, I feel very difficult because, you know, I was so married to the, the story of, you know, the way TK, my husband hurt me or let me down in different ways. And if I wrote them down on paper, I think anyone, including a coach, will go, okay, that was shitty. Or I can see why that hurt, of course. But as you said before, in the other example, when we were talking about parenting, you know, I had to make the decision. Am I going to dwell on this and blame him, my, almost like my parent, you know, and, and live my life that way? Or am I going to figure out where the invitation is leading me for myself and my own healing? And it has been the the biggest gift to myself. I know you know this, Christine. It's funny doing this podcast because you're my coach. You know all this, but I'm I'm talking to you and you know thousands and thousands of people all over saying, I'm telling you what she's saying isn't just true, right? It works. Like I've I've done this myself, and I have a great marriage, but there's no comparison between now and a year ago. None, even in now and a month ago, uh, because all those things that I was focusing on that hurt me, you know, were reminding me of my childhood or triggering my abandonment or it became, it's like it became a new way for me to sabotage my own happiness. It was easy for me to focus on that because then I I didn't have to focus on the fact that I had an amazing relationship and I actually get to be happy. Even if I wasn't a great mom in my eyes, certain times when my kids were little, I still get to be happy. And now it's just, it really is like bliss. I mean, it really is. Like I, we still have stuff that comes up. We were in Christine and her husband's home just days ago having an in-person session and we were talking about a few things, but they said, how do you feel that you're doing? And I said, I can't even describe it. It's just a new, it's like looking at the, thinking of the restaurant analogy, it's like going to the kitchen when you've only been in the front. You know, like now I'm in the back and I'm like, oh, I have this whole new appreciation for everything. And it's just, it's so beautiful. And I remember you saying when we were sitting there, I said something about something my husband did that bothered me. And she said, well, good, TK, you're doing your job. And it was a reminder, right? That that's his job is to trigger me. Yeah, exactly. It's also his job to love you. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Job. <laughs> <laughs> And he does that subconsciously. He doesn't wake up every day thinking, ooh, how can I trigger Jill? He just does that by being TK because he's your partner. I wanted to, I'm never probably going to do this, but I'd love to do a movie, like a rom-com about what relationships are really like (laughs) in terms of what they're really for and what they're really like. And yes, it's definitely share your life with someone and possibly have kids and do all the fun, amazing couple stuff. But it's another tool for evolution. Like everything in our lives, relationship, kids, health problems, money issues, work stuff, like all of it is to help us grow and evolve. And when you can have that perspective on life of how can I learn from this versus why is this happening to me? Like one of the best shifts I've made in my life is moving from being a victim and getting that victim consciousness. And we all can do that. The victim or the martyr, that's, that's one kind of bounce between and shifting into I'm a student of life and how can I learn from this and what is this teaching me? And that is so empowering when we get to that space, when we can go, oh, okay, how is TK being my teacher right now? Mm-hmm. versus how is he being a selfish asshole right now? It's it's just a very different way to look at it. And Christine, I'll say that I was afraid to get there just like I was afraid to move past my childhood because I didn't know how to be without it. It was like taking my blanket, my pacifier, or even my identity. Like I, you know, it's easy to say if someone had just said, if you didn't coach me and you had just said what you said to me, I would have been like, yeah, no. Because I wanted to be angry and I wanted to feel it. And I, I've learned from you and I've shared this on our podcast that no one who knows what they're talking about is saying, don't feel the feelings, right? Don't acknowledge it. Like, as you said before, it's okay to say, mom, that was shitty. And the big and is, and then you get to decide if you're going to, you know, let it teach you something. And um, that's why I love, I love and appreciate so much the work that you do. 
and that you have done for so many years. I mean, you've been in this space a long time. I bet you've seen a lot, a lot, not just with clients, but even in the coaching space. I bet in the personal development world, I bet you could have three other episodes just about the things I could interview on. What what have you seen behind the scenes? Oh, yes. (laughs) But I just want to acknowledge you for... I know you enjoy this. I know it's so interesting to you, but but it's also been a lot of work that you've done on yourself to be able to do this kind of work with people like me, right? It's not just about the book knowledge because you're so intelligent. I know you're academic. We've talked about that. And so you could have taken a very academic approach to this and been an amazing therapist or coach for people. And you decided to take it so much further and transform yourself and heal yourself, which is why... This, you're you're so good at what you do. And I just, I want to say that because there are a lot of people in any career who aren't willing to do that. They learn it, right? And then they regurgitate it, but they don't go deep within themselves. And that's why you're able to help me go so deep because you've done that yourself. Yes. I mean, I think it was just one of those things where I knew I couldn't in integrity help people unless I had been there myself. And also, when I first started coaching people in 2004, I was getting so drained and tired. And it was because I needed to go deeper inside myself. I was being unconsciously triggered by my clients. And so it's also so that, you know, I can take people to places I need to take them without depleting myself. And that only comes from really being, you know, integrated in the work. And it's just life is better when you're conscious and awake and willing to look at things and willing to go deep and willing to do the work. It just gets easier. Things make more sense. And you meet really cool people too, because there's so many cool people wanting to awake and wanting to break generational patterns and wanting to live in a different kind of world. And that's fun too. Like, I think a lot of times we think personal development is hard and laborious and blood, sweat, and tears. And there is that. But oh my gosh, there's so much joy and so much liberation and so much connection and so much community that comes from it as well. And you're an example of that. Like, I love my clients. I adore working with you. It's been such an honor to see you grow and shift. And you're so coachable. You know, dream clients are coachable clients. Like, we we talk about something and you're like, okay, I got it. It's a little annoying. I have to do this, but I'm going to do it. And you go and you do it. And to see your life transform in the way it has, Jill, and just to see the love that you show up with in the world you really are walking the talk. And I'm just so, I don't want to sound like your mom, but I'm so proud of you. Mm, I really appreciate you saying that. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So for um, our listeners who want more of you, I know that I would assume after having baby, things are going to slow down. How can they access everything you have to offer if you're not accessible, let's say, um, for coaching when they're ready or when they want that? How can they find your, I would say, teachings? Well, there's so many ways. I mean, a great way to get exposure to my coaching is to listen to my podcast over and on with it, where I coach people live on the air. I also do some interviews. There's two episodes a week. So one episode is a unscripted, unedited, unproduced coaching episode where I've, I've coached people on, you name it, I've coached them <laughs> on so it. Good. So you can learn... And I'm going to interject here. I've, I've talked about your podcast before, but if anyone's listening and they haven't heard me mention it, it's like nothing else out there. No one else is doing this. And it really is unscripted and live coaching, but I'll be in the shower and Sally's lesson is my lesson. It's really, mm-hmm. really powerful. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. So that's called Over It and On With It. And then christinehasser.com is you know where we have all our programs. My mastery course, christinehasser.com slash mastery, that one, you get monthly group coaching calls with me as well. And that's a really good in-depth personal development program. And we have an inner child workshop and we have a workshop for women calling in their conscious relationship and all that stuff will be available when I'm on maternity leave as well. So I'll still be out there. There's still ways to connect. And I'm really looking forward to seeing how motherhood you know, takes me to the next level of my own journey. Mm, I'm so happy for both of you and so excited to watch it unfold. And then last thing, um, will you just share with them why Elementum Coaching Institute is different than um, everything else out there for anyone who either wants to be a coach or as I shared with Preston and Alexi, remember, I'm not a coach. So there are people listening to BU and actually I've had one person enroll in Elementum who's a listener who isn't a coach and isn't going to be a coach. So for anyone who's heard me talk, and I'm telling you, Christine, I've talked incessantly for six months about Elementum. Will you, from your vantage point, who created the program with three other experts, explain 
just briefly, why is it different? So I'm, I'm sure Preston and Alexi probably touched on this, but it is different because we all have been in the industry for decades and we have seen so many coaches go out there and they're just not ready. They're not trained to the degree that they need to be trained to, to one, really help people, two, be successful, and three, not get drained and triggered. And so we wanted to create the most comprehensive program, the program we wish we all had. We added up how much we've all spent on our own training and it was well over seven figures, like well over. We have gone around the world studying with the best people. And the four of us have combined like everything that we've learned into the most comprehensive coaching, training, and embodiment program. So it's different in terms of the curriculum. It's also different in terms of the level of mentoring and support you get and feedback you get. Most coaching training programs don't give you the level of feedback from staff, from faculty, from your peers that we do. Mm, I didn't know so that. You know how you're doing as a coach. You really start to feel confident as a coach. You really are you know, evaluated and trained so that when you leave, you feel like, okay, I got it. And the number one way I built my business is I just became really good at what I did. I didn't do any crazy marketing things or funnels or email campaigns or summits or any of those things. I just got really good as a coach. And that, you know, even in this world of Facebook ads and internet and podcasting, all that kind of stuff, word of mouth, like people really getting value from what you do, I think is still the best quote unquote marketing strategy. Mm, I so agree. I'm so glad I made the decision to be a student in Elementum. And uh, as I shared with Alexi off air, when I met her in person, standing in her bedroom, meeting her baby the other day, um, <laughs> she said, wait, 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 you're not a coach? And I said, no, I, I think it's important to say that there's a segment of people out there like me who want a very challenging, it was very challenging, but comprehensive, like personal growth course. I know that's not what it's called, but it was a really great experience, not as a coach even. Anyway, so thank you so much. It turns out you're, an author, you're a great yeah. coach as well, even though if you don't want to be one, oh, you are a great you. coach. <laughs> thank you. So thank you so much again, and not just for, for giving me this time, but for who you are in this world. And I am so happy and grateful and excited that I listened to a prompt to hire your husband and then listened Aww. to a prompt that said, hey, this is, I don't know if I told you this, this is kind of uncomfortable, but... I love you and appreciate you. And is there any way I could have your wife too? <laughs> if we if we renew our container, can I have your wife too? And he said, let me ask. And it was such a great combination. So powerful. So thank you so much. And to everyone listening, as always, if this resonates with you, and if you got something, which clearly you did out of this, please don't keep it to yourself. Please share this. As Christine said, a personal referral is, it means more than anything you'd ever just see floating around on the internet. I mean, share it with your your friends, other moms. Let them know who Christine is and what she's doing for all of us. And let us know your feedback on the episode. Thanks, Christine. <laughs>